we really just focus on the trauma of black folks. I want to focus on like what makes black folks so unique and what makes our culture so like rich, you know, like I want to really show that with others. And I think with my art, like portraying like black people in like different settings, like in sci-fi settings or just like fantasy settings and like mystical settings, like no, like yeah, we are more than just like, you know, police brutality or like poverty and stuff. Hello, welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising Black, Indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Raymond Ozalanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamoto Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Abel Hayford. They are a Ghanaian-American working as a freelance artist. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Abel Hayford. I use they, them pronouns. I'm an artist located in Burbank, but originally I'm from Virginia Beach. And I'm working in animation as a color stylist, kid designer, background painter, just general designer. I really have a strong focus on color. Color is such an important part, not only like my work, but just like in general, like what makes me me. I have worked with Warner Brothers, Cartoon Network, Nick, Disney, and other studios outside of L.A., And I'm also a part um, freelancer, illustrator in comics and um, editorial. I'm also the um, head organizer of Drawing While Black, which is a hashtag, also a directory that promotes Black artists um, around the world. Um, Nice to meet everyone. Yeah. Amazing. It's so exciting to have you on. So the way you like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices and you have to choose in between the two of them and then let us know why. All right, so I'll start us off. Who would you rather have be your guardian? Grandpa from Boondocks or Grunkle Stan from Gravity Falls? I think I would choose Grandpa from the Boondocks. <laughs> really? Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> this feels like yeah. a hard choice. <laughs> I think I have a bias, but I feel like I can, you know, if I know that he's really straight, I can probably be like, I'm not going to act up. Like, I'm not. Like Riley and Huey, you know, I know how to handle myself. And plus, if, mm. if I'm still like the same age, like what, he, what does he want to do? He will not want to do anything to me. So no, but welcome staying out. I, I would feel kind of embarrassed and like, why? I don't claim you. I would never claim you. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't claim you. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's so hard. I would claim grandpa from Boondocks. Like I'm like, yeah, he's crazy. But, you know, I'm like, you are... A scammer. I can't. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, not not a guardian to be proud of. I can see that. Yeah. Like, he had made me fun to be around when you were a kid. Like, once you're, like, 22, like, actually, I don't think what you do is ethical. So. <laughs> <laughs> can't really let it go at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Would you rather have a music jam session with Steven Universe from Steven Universe or Finn and Jake from Adventure Time? I think Finn and Jake. Because oh. I feel like Steven, like, it may be nice, but he's a bit too professional. Like, I guess I feel like <laughs> the, it'll be such higher expectations of Finn and Jake. It's like, I could just, you know, improv and like, you know, BS it, you know, like, mm-hmm. it's all fun. But like, Steven's like, I actually study music. Da, da, da. I'm like, good for you, but I don't want to bring you down. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> More about that chip tune vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, for sure. I, I can I can definitely awesome. see it being a lot more casual and like just shooting the shit with uh, Finn and Jake. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Meanwhile, like there'll probably be a whole musical number of Steven. I'm like, I'm not I was not prepared for this. Like <laughs> not prepared for dancing. <laughs> no. Perfect. Great answers. Great answers. Mm-hmm. Super solid. 
So, Abel, uh, what is the day-to-day life of a freelance illustrator and character designer? I guess, first off, waking up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I try to fit as much work as I can. Then I, like, talk to my friends, because I usually talk to my friends, like, every day and stuff. And then, of course, um, most of my friends are on the East Coast, so, like, by the time it's, like, 12 for me, it's, like, 3 p.m. for them. I usually work best late in anyways and stuff, because mm-hmm. I'm, like, I wake up late. I've been pushing it lately. I don't endorse staying up um, past 5. Of course, on weekends, I try to give myself more of a break. I try not to work more than, like, 12 hours each day anyways, but um, sometimes with, like, deadlines, especially, like, right now, I kind of have to, like, accommodate for the time that I need. Were you freelancing before the pandemic? Oh, yeah. I was freelancing okay. before the pandemic. I started picking up freelance on my second semester of senior year. I actually had to like, automate my thesis just to work on freelance. I, it was definitely worth it because I couldn't really do a thesis um, with all my work. And I'm glad that my teachers are really accommodating and stuff. But since I graduated, it kind of really picked up, which I'm really thankful, of course. But I wish I had a break. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, in that case, do you feel like your workflow has changed or like before the pandemic when people were like more in office, like were you on a tighter schedule or have you always kind of like 10 to noon and then like work late into the night or like do they check in with you more or less? So I think because I was in school Hmm. and stuff, I kind of were able to work a bit earlier and stuff. But with the pandemic, it's like I, of course, like I think like the stress of it and stuff, I has like kind of turned me down, but also I'm kind of like I have picked up more work, so I kind of mm-hmm. have to like maintain it. And I think I'm still learning how to like maintain a you know healthy schedule, of course. I think, of course, some clients are more understanding and stuff, but I think it's getting to the point where it's like, okay, it's been a year. I feel like unfortunately, more some clients are not as empathetic about the pandemic. I, I feel like I'm still like, trying to get a grasp of everything, you know. Especially since we might be in this for a few more months to the end of the year. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So you have also freelanced for quite a few different companies. Like you kind of already named a handful in the beginning, your intro, but even all the way to also the New Yorker, you've also freelanced. And that's just kind of scratching the surface of what you've done. Uh, What has been your favorite freelance experience for yourself? So recently I just finished freelancing for Google. Um, I helped make some illustrations for the Chrome theme oh that's cool it was like a really great this relationship like schedule and like i feel like with that job i felt like i got a lot more freedom to do just what i wanted and stuff and like it was like they gave me a lot of time we had a lot of check-ins and stuff where they're like oh you just need to tweak this and do that there was not a lot of pressure with that even though it was like a really high profile like client like that's it's mm-hmm. google you know yeah mm-hmm but like them giving me freedom, like I was able to do like art pieces that like really weren't just, you know, for Google, but like for myself too. They paid really well too. So it was like, it felt like I was like getting paid to like do art that I would do on my own time, you know? I think that's the vibe that I get from Google too, is that they tend to be pretty, I don't want to say lax, but they have a very like open environment. I think they have like, like so many like reclining chairs are like very like, I think there's like sleeping hubs. There's little yeah. stuff. So that's cool. Even Even when you're freelancing for them, they have like a very lax but professional still kind of feel and i think it's like mm-hmm. i think with i guess that kind of client i think they respect the people that they bring on knowing that they can do the work mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. for sure and i think like because i was a bit hesitant because some tech companies are kind of like we need this yesterday and we need to do this for two dollars <laughs> but i'm glad people was like 
<laughs> Google contacted me like in like November and they're like, okay, we want you to do this project for like Black History Month. Like we're just like preparing you. I was like, damn, you guys are doing it far ahead than some people I know mm-hmm. who contact Black artists like in February, two weeks before Black History Month about to end. Mm-hmm. So it was nice that they gave me so much time to just like finesse these themes and like the results were really good. Like a lot of people liked them, and like it was it's so great seeing like people's reviews and being like, "We love the art," and like we really enjoy this and stuff. So it's nice to have more eyes on my work. So that was a theme that you can put on Chrome, right? Yeah, it's you available. Can download it. Yeah, it's oh. available. Ah, oh, that's awesome. It's super, super cool. So what's really cool is that so your journey kind of took you from like character to color, and what you have listed on your resume is simply a freelance artist for projects and development. How was working on development projects different from a serialized show such as Big City Greens? So I think with development, it really just keys on like just the concepts of characters. If you see my fully, it's not like a typical like turnarounds or like pull sheets or like expressions, mm-hmm. but it's more of like more one shot, but conceptual characters. I I think that's based off my like education at Micah. A lot of my kids in classes are more conceptual, like coming up with like a concept of a character as opposed to like, you know, the technical aspects of it. And mm-hmm. I think um, I really just kind of hone in that, that skills. And I think that's why a lot of studios are like, oh, this artist would be really great at development work. It's been really fun to just like really conceptualize characters for pitches, who's the concepts, really like imagining, oh, what would this character look like? Um, As opposed to like the technical aspects, because I think like the technical aspects are kind of like the least, my least favorite part of mm-hmm. character design. It's really fun just to like bounce off ideas. And like with some development, like, they want to do one like a first pass or something and sometimes they don't go with it but i think that's like that's a normal like you know the normal aspects of just development and stuff like doesn't mean that like a bad artist or anything it's just like oh maybe like realizing like oh maybe the way that this person draws isn't the direction that we want mm-hmm. yeah i think any artist who's working in development has some value like i don't think people who throw away concepts like they're not bad drawings. And like, in fact, if you like look at development work from different shows and movies, like people, are like, oh, you actually really like this. Like you really like this a lot, but it's like a whole different feel than the show that's like being shown us moving shown. So I really like development a lot. Mm-hmm. It's like a big writing room for, but set with um, drawings yeah. and illustrations. Yeah, it's a brainstorming mm-hmm. session. So like not, all, not every yeah. idea is going to get picked up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. How do you kind of like draw inspiration for that? Because conceptually, like you're working on a lot of different projects, a lot of different styles. So usually they give me like a, you know, a brief um, then and then sometimes they give me like reference to these characters, like, you know, like either like photo reference or like just like illustration reference or like they also sometimes pick stuff from my portfolio, but like, oh, we would like something like this, mm-hmm. like what you made in the past. Like we kind of like something in this style and I kind of just bounce off that. Um, Sometimes find my own reference on like, Pinterest and feel like, oh, I try to like really go deep and like, what would this character where like on a Tuesday, like how would this character act and how can I present that in my drawings or like my um, development work? I try not to be too clean with development work because like they don't want you to be clean. They just like they want the idea to be expressed. Mm. And I try to like really like hone in just on the feel of it. To kind of like reflect back on like your earlier career, uh, was working at Titmouse as a remote character assistant your first animation industry job out of school? That was actually my, I think that was my first full-time position, of course, at Titmouse, but I have worked in animation a little bit beforehand. Oh, that's awesome. Can you talk about that experience? Yeah, so that experience was, like, really interesting and stuff. I definitely learned a lot. I 
um, learn a lot that maybe I shouldn't have priced myself so low. Oh, um, I think that's a mistake <laughs> that's with every, a really big hurdle. every every yeah. every student or every individual that leaves school is that oftentimes they don't know the the pricings of like oh how do I price freelance storyboard work how do I price doing character yeah. designs and fresh artists always tend to sell themselves really really short. <laughs> Yeah, it's so true. And like, I think like, I didn't expect how much work it would be. I was like, I could get this knocked down in two weeks. But it was six months (laughs) of working on this project. And I was like, you know what, maybe I should have done like a flat rate. Maybe I should have done an hourly rate, you know. Um, And of course, that was a big learning experience. But it was nice to kind of just like conceptualize characters, you know, and like figure out like the vibes. I think with Titmouse, I felt with um, that job, it was a big learning curve. As I was saying before, I'm mostly working, like, conceptualizing character development. But this was all technical, like, turnarounds, redresses, all the work. And I was, I'm not going to, it was a struggle for me to um, do it because I was not used to it. And the deadline was, like, it was pretty tight, too. I learned a lot since then, you know, of, like, how to, like, really do more technical things and stuff. I think, like, after that, I was like, you know what, I need a really hold on these skills more mm-hmm. before I work on another care design job. I think that's why I mostly focus on like color because with color, it's like not only do I know how to develop color, but I know technical aspects of color and like, and I feel like that's definitely my more strong suit, but I definitely do want to do more care design work in the future and also even possibly do storyboarding, you know, because I think, mm, cool. I think like eventually I do want to become a storyboarder and possibly like a director, showrunner. I think it's like my ultimate goal. I think I still like developing my skills in design. That's really awesome. I think I know at least a lot of showrunners tend to have a, a background in storyboarding or script writing. It's it's a it's also a nice skill to have. That's if that's the direction you're kind of wanting to go forwards and head towards. That's us. That's actually really cool. So even kind of going back earlier on your experiences, because it looks like you've already at such a young age, you've already have done and worked so much in the industry, both in animation and elsewhere. But can you tell us about your experience interning? At Wanda Bros. Animation, I know you've done both, I think, the production and art internship there as well. In high school, I applied for this program called Reach. It's like mm-hmm. a scholarship program run by Warner Brothers, and I was fortunate enough to be selected as a candidate for the animation internship. So I was um, allowed to do an internship like every summer after like school. I actually started like the weekend after I graduated high school. So it was like wow. I was in Virginia. Then the next day I flew to California, and on Monday I started working. That's crazy. It was really crazy. I think with that internship, I think it helped me really understand the pipeline of animation and also just like the, you know, nuance of like the um, industry. I met a lot of great artists who really helped me direct myself and like basically understanding like my role in the industry. Also like understanding more about production because I think like with internships, you really understand that the animation industry is not just artists, but also Mm -hmm. a big Part of it is management and art. I think it helped me hone my skills with like organization and also like timing too. Like it gets me more empathetic to that because I think like this is mis- oh artists are the only one who matter in the industry. But no, no, it's like the industry is more than just artists, you know. And I think work in production made me more appreciative of them. Production really, like, is so important. That's so important. That's why they need to unionize. I'm an advocate for production unionizing, and I feel like yeah, they need to unionize. There's no, I don't think we should argue about that. But yeah, I think also too, like meeting so many people in the industry and like them being so helpful for my growth, um, especially so early on. And like them, it's really great that basically saw me since I was a high schooler till now with me working in the industry and like 
I don't know. I think this internship was just like really helpful. Mm-hmm. But also I think this internship also opened my eyes and like, you know what? Um, uh, let me try to unpack the animation industry more um, <laughs> and like figure out what some practices aren't really appropriate. Like I didn't understand why production interns couldn't do art. Mm-hmm. until someone's like it's because of the union you know and i was like oh the union what's the union and i really dug deep in it and i was like you know what maybe the union's right <laughs> um, <laughs> you know of course i really love being able to do work art for um the last show i worked on with thundercast thundercast was like such a great show for me mm-hmm. to work on and like the showrunners dustin john the crew were like really supportive and, like they're all my mentors basically but that being said i was kind of upset that i didn't get credited for my work but because I was an intern, like, they couldn't do that. I think that was, like, a big eye-opener. I was like, hmm, well, I wonder what we can do to change that more, you know? Like, yeah. how can we avoid this from happening and stuff? But, like, why would this happen? And I think that's what really pushed me to really um, try to be... I just joined recently joined a union, but mm-hmm. I am trying my best to be as active in it as possible. Like, I'm going to meetings, like, almost, like, every time there are meetings, mm-hmm. asking questions when I need to and stuff, because I think... One misconception is like, why is something this way? I'm angry about it, as opposed mm-hmm. to like not understanding why things are the way they are in the animation industry. Like, I rather ask questions than we um, react to things that I don't like. You know, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah, and like unions do make things like a little bit more restricted. Like, you can't like be production and then like also do art because then they would have to pay you the artist fee. It's yeah a lot of like just to protect you as like also an artist because it's like. Yeah, if you are a production intern, you're doing art, you should get paid as an artist. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, they don't necessarily want to pay you. No, they don't. <laughs> because they it don't. would be more expensive, right? So yeah. I agree. I think, I mean, in my opinion, I think production should be part of like the animation guild. Like the whole, they are half of the pipeline, right? Yeah. Like whenever you go into yeah. the office, they're literally like half the cubicles are like, you know, they're conforming things, uh, making sure everything's running smoothly. Like, yeah. it's so important. Usually, yeah. yeah. And they're usually the ones who are doing the most overtime, too. Yes. I recently seen a take about how because production does not do art, they should not be considered members of the 839. And I'm like, no. Can you just briefly explain what the 839 is for people that may, oh, may not so, know? Yeah. So 839 is the local union in L.A. County, which is just the animation guild. I, of course, I disagree with that take and stuff, mm-hmm. but it just really shows that, like, there are different amounts of opinions in the union when it comes to, like, issues. Um, But I feel like with production, like, I feel like there's a lot of roles in animation and animation guild that are not quote-unquote art-based, but are still valuable parts of the um, industry. Like, mm-hmm. timing and checking, like, that's such an important aspect of the industry and stuff. But, like, that's not really, like, a quote-unquote artistic role you know but it does not mean it has less value and therefore like production should be considered you can argue that if artists strike they can replace artists with other people outside of la county with production production strikes then help will break loose like you cannot run a show or like a project officially without production mm-hmm. so it's like they need to be paid as such you know they are an important aspect of the industry and they need to get paid as much. They need to get the same benefits as us. And, like, basically, they need to get the same respect. Because at the end of the day, most of the people in production are not, they're, like, marginalized folks. Like, they're women or, like, trans folks. Mm-hmm. Most of them are, like, BIPOC. A lot of people use that position to possibly, like, go into more artistic roles. But mm-hmm. also, some people just like working in production, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But with that being said, like, 
regardless like i feel like they have every right to join the union mm-hmm. and like i guess because also too like i was basically kind of raised by production so <laughs> i'm like very like protective of them no, for sure like again it's with a solid production team the ship runs so smoothly and when it's a bad production team or like or things aren't managed properly this ship fucking sinks yeah so mm-hmm. like it's no definitely like, yeah the production team helps like it helps make the show meet just deadlines make sure everything's getting hit make sure that also, if it's a good production team as well, they try to make sure that the artists aren't doing unnecessary overtime or that the artists, I can't mm-hmm. tell you how, like, at least on, on the show I'm on, the production team cares so much about its artists that, like, trying to make sure that we're probably taken care of and things are being done in a timely manner. And, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's amazing. And, like, again, they should should be unionized. They should have similar benefits. Yeah, exactly. Like, I was kind of shocked because I was like, oh, well, if I do work production, I could get paid. But then I found out that, like, something like a production assistant gets mm-hmm. paid like more like when i was an intern i was like getting paid like barely minimum wage yeah but w- you just get two extra dollars if you're a production assistant i'm like what in the world it's very like, low mm-hmm. very low. it's so low and like even like people like i even know like some people who are not like just working production like you work in a long time like it's really ridiculous and like of course it's like not to be like i don't serve a, lo- uh, a lower wage but it's like I'm like making more money than people who have been working in industry for so long because mm-hmm. they work in production. I'm like, and not like definitely not to compare jobs and stuff. But it's like they do so much more. I yeah, guess. It's, it's definitely like, it's definitely a different type of like it's. You yeah. should never compare like what depending like again you shouldn't compare what a character designer does to what a story artist does because it's a different brain, it's yeah. a different skill, it's a different everything. And so, no, I totally understand where you're coming from. I just feel like the amount of work that they do should be accommodated for you know like yeah. they, i feel like they definitely need to be accommodating for how much work they do because it's not like they're just this is not a task that everyone can do yeah. yeah again if production does strike hell break loose you can't just hire new people in production mm-hmm. you know you, you you have to train them and stuff and like i definitely feel like they need to be more valued yeah. than they are right now 100 percent value mm-hmm. value and respect your production team also to make this clear our opinions do not reflect the views of our employer this is <laughs> yeah this is just this is us and how we feel and again no reflection on who employs us who my employers in the future uh, so but to kind of go back on topic to your career uh, abel you've actually been professionally illustrating since 2014 how did you first get your start yeah my first freelance job was for this um, online shop i helped make illustrations of their clothing I was like, oh, because at first I was like, oh, I'll do fan art of their clothing. So because I really like their clothing a lot. Um, but then they contacted me like, oh, you want you to be a freelance illustrator? And I'm like, oh, interesting. I didn't know. And That's then cool. they made me like, do all this paperwork. I'm like, oh, this is a job <laughs> job. <laughs> so like, I, I guess for a year or two, I helped make some illustrations for them, which was really great. I stopped, of course, during my senior year um, of high school because I was like getting really busy with college applications and other things too. Um, and then freshman year happened. Um, unfortunately, the company did dissolve, so I couldn't get back to work. But I used that time just to like, of course, focus in school. Then I started to get more freelance my sophomore year. Um, I think my first gig was at Complex where I did editorial. I just steadily became like a freelancer until like college where I just started to really become like a part-time freelancer until um, after I graduated, just became a full-time fully freelancer. Because <laughs> um, I think with the experience, like it, it feels like a basically like a snowball effect where it's like I get some 
and then it keeps on rolling, keeps on rolling. Mm-hmm. And now the ball is getting really big, <laughs> which is like really great. But also it's like, this ball is so big. Oh, I can maintain it and stuff. But, um, no, for sure. It's a cool uh, stroke of luck or stroke of opportunity that you just did something that you were a fan of and you got contacted. I know the most difficult part about freelancing is getting that first gig. But once you do freelance, you build up a clientele. It's kind of like what you're saying. It kind of creates this snowball effect down the hill, like more and more to the point. Like when you first start freelancing, from my understanding of it, is that you're first struggling just trying to get clients. But once you've been in it for a while, it's like, okay, I don't have time to do all of this. I'm just going to cherry pick the ones that are actually interesting to me and like, yeah, like, uh, put these to the side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, basically it. Not gonna, I do find joy turning down jobs because I can always like <laughs> recommend. I feel mm. like it's like a great opportunity to recommend people mm-hmm. to these jobs. I'm like, oh, wait, th- I can't take this job, but I know who can take this job, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I like using that opportunity just to like get people to actually get their first freelance gigs and like help them build a freelance portfolio too. Because I think I really do, I think it's important to like kind of look for the person next to you as opposed to like trying to build up, like build people with you. Uh, so. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad that I'm getting enough work where I can pass it on to other artists. That's amazing. That's honestly super totally. cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I think like uh, it's an amazing mindset. And I think that's something that more people should be thinking like that. So on the topic of illustration and illustrating, you actually illustrated the graphic novel who sparked the Montgomery bus boycott Rosa Parks, which is now on pre-order. How was that experience and how did that opportunity come about? Mm hmm. So I was contacted by um, Penguin Phantom House um, Workshop mm-hmm. in 2019. Some uh, designer um, who saw my work at actually a convention contacted me and my agent. Um, and they're like, oh, we want you to work on this book. And um, since then, it's definitely been a learning curve. And so it's like, of course, my first graphic novel is a lot of work. And I would definitely respect the process of making comics. Uh, I think like with the pandemic, it kind of made timing a bit more intense, you know, and um I definitely underestimate how much work it would be, but I, I'm definitely proud of what I'm doing for it, and like I'm very honored to do a like basically a auto, um, biography for Rosa Parks. Like, like she's such a prolific, historic figure in history and stuff, and I like it's it's a privilege to be able to work on like graphic novel for her. You know, I'm really excited to see something like a book form of my work. You know, like mm-hmm. I always want, like I always want to like work in comics and stuff. And like, I always like want to work on like graphic novels. So it's nice to actually have something that's tangible, you know, and it's nice. Cause it's like, kids are going to be reading it. Like, and like, I know for me, like graphic novels are such an important part of my artistic growth. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, I love this art. Like I love being able to look and read and like this style and this book is really great. And I would like look up the artist and be like, oh my God, the, the illustrator, you know, that's something I want to do, you know? So to be possibly someone's inspiration to become an artist, like that's so exciting, you know? Yeah, same. I don't know how it is nowadays because kids have like smartphones and whatever, but totally when I was like in like elementary, middle school, stuff like that, we go to the library and like they had like a growing graphic novel section and not all of them were great, but like I'm yeah. more of a visual learner than like liking to read books so it was always fantastic to like see those illustrations and like that was like my first experience with graphic novels was like reading American Born Chinese by Jean Luen Yang and that was like really influential for me and I was like just to see somebody also like a person of color like a Asian person who made a graphic novel about like Asian culture like that's really important Mm -hmm. so I think similar to you I really hope that like kids pick up this book and they say like wow oh Rosa Parks I've heard of that oh 
uh, there's a graphic novel. Like I can understand this a bit more. Who's the artist here? Like who who yeah. wrote this? Mm-hmm. And like kind of trace back to you, and then maybe get more influenced by like artists that that you've brought up and like support you and stuff. Exactly. It's funny though, because like my first like quote unquote graphic novel was Captain mm-hmm. Underpants. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like that. I was like, this is so much fun. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know you could do this for chapter book. I want to do this, and so well, of course, I don't like my work's not nothing like Captain Underpants, but it was definitely influential <laughs> to me. Um, mm-hmm. And like also knowing that the Arthur too, like he has ADHD and stuff, and like I think the way that he has like really worked with that, and like how he was able to like make a book that really accommodates for him. Like I like I feel like I really like the format of that, and like I would love to do something that is accessible to read for kids, you know? Because I think uh, with graphic novels, like I think some people will underestimate how accessible they are because like I have trouble reading like a long break of text mm-hmm. when it comes to like novels and stuff, but with graphic novels, it's so much easier to like just follow the story along. Digest, you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you you mentioned this briefly, but you're actually currently represented by Charlie Olson at Inkwell Management. What's the benefit of having a representative as an illustrator? And is that something you recommend to other young illustrators that are wanting to kind of get in? So I definitely recommend if you want to specifically like work in graphic novels. I think having someone who can really help with like contracts, but also like if you're dealing, because I have come to him when I've been overstressed and like, dealing with just like other things that's affecting like my work i could be like can you please just let them know that i'm just overwhelmed and stuff so it's like nice to have someone in your corner to advocate for you Mm -hmm. being represented like it shows that you are kind of certified as opposed to like being Mm -hmm. unrepresented Mm -hmm. because i think with being unrepresented you can one of the issues being underpaid for your work Mm -hmm. and um not having proper scheduling but being represented for like graphic novel they can really establish like a good healthy pay but also like rights beyond like you know the upfront fee but also like royalties possibly film and tv rights and also to like figure out scheduling because like i think like with scheduling like that's such an important aspect of graphic novels you have to figure out a really good schedule for yourself and also like the um team on you because if you do run an issue of you needing more time like at least that's installed in your contract you know mm-hmm. it gives you more leverage because hopefully the person that you hire also has experience doing like other books and stuff like that and like you're saying if you don't know how to price yourself or you don't know like what certain things will cost, like they're bringing that experience to the table so that like exactly. you're not out there mm-hmm. like by yourself fighting like publishers or anything like that. So exactly. yeah, that's a, that's a no, good point. It's nice to have someone who's really experienced to be like, this is what you need to do. And like, this is like what you not, you shouldn't do. And like mm-hmm. also like help me connect with other publishers and even art writers too. Like right now he like connecting with a writer where like to help developing a pitch for publishers to auction off and like it's a really exciting project and i'm like pretty we're pretty optimistic it's gonna get picked up because it's such a really interesting story and stuff mm-hmm. and like that's really cool i'm really thankful that he was able to connect me with this writer so yeah that's, that's gonna be like a follow-up question of mine is that how is that experience working with a writer as an illustrator it's really fun it's nice to just like play off each other and like getting like feedback on each other like because like think like writing and like drawing like it's not just like a linear thing like you sometimes always can inform the writer and the vice versa and stuff so it's nice to like work collaboratively and like artists are also help writing those story but also writers also help illustrate the book like i asked my writer to actually like write me thumbnails for um pages or like what i like reference because like i want to actively show the vision that we have for us you know and like constantly communicating and like when like when like writers know like oh this is what i can do as an artist like oh maybe like this is not working but maybe we can do this you know 
like because I know sometimes people just like this writer and this artist and mm-hmm. then, like they never interact. But I think mm-hmm. with this project specifically, like I really enjoy the interaction a lot. So you are actually pretty prominent on social media. You mentioned that social media has played a huge role in your artistic growth. What advice would you give to other young artists wanting to build their artistic growth? Yeah. So yeah, I've been, yeah, I've been on social media since I was like <laughs> nine. <laughs> Wait, so what? I was getting younger I, and younger. Yeah. Wait, what, what, what I, platform were you, were you on when you were nine? I was on DeviantArt. I don't recommend it. <laughs> I don't recommend I'll, it. I will say I have never been on DeviantArt. I, that's a thing I skipped. Oh You've protected yourself, Ray. It's Dude, okay. Yeah, you have. I didn't even get on Tumblr until like college. That's good. No. It's for like, the better. It's for the better. But what I've definitely learned is like, like engagement. Like I think having not only this quantity engagement, but also quality engagement. I focus on like quality engagement with my followers and stuff. Like I try to post like at least like once a month um, of art. Also, I talk, I talk about like, you know, art related things on my Twitter. Also, like I constantly treat all the people's art, you know, so mm-hmm. um, at least it's like, you know, you're not seeing my art, you're seeing someone else's art, you know, and like people actually like following people because like I, I actually write advice like, oh, don't we treat all the people's art. But I think that should be the opposite, you know, mm-hmm. not only are you like help lift and promote all the artists, but it's also like. It's nice to see like a page where it's like still like, you know, active, you mm-hmm. know, and like it's like, oh, this page is active. And like, I'm like, again, exposed to other people's art. So it's like, might as well follow this page because like I'm constantly exposed to not only this artist's art, but also other people's art. I also like interact with people in your industry and stuff, like getting to know them, not just like, you know, when it comes to art, but just like the daylighting, like, oh my gosh, like this asking about them and like, um, having like conversations with them too. Also participating in like hashtag events. For example, like Drawing World Black, like I um, created that to also connect with other black creatives in the industry, not just in the US, but outside the US too. And like that has been a really great place of community for me. I often tell people like when it comes to like following count, like of course following count matters. Like I think with my following count, it helps benefit me a lot in my career. But Mm -hmm. I also feel like you should also know who you're following too. Like, because like you don't know if your following counts mostly art directors or just like people who casually enjoy art mm. and like who can actually like provide you like with like opportunities and stuff you know and i think like of course if you have a large following like myself the chances of you getting opportunities like it's increased but i think like i've seen people who have like under 5k following who's constantly getting work you know mm-hmm. and like um because it's like the people who are following them is mostly like showrunners art directors all sorts of people like edit- editors and stuff who are like right. we really like your work and like and i think that's why always know like know your audience like i think this in general know your audience i tell people don't always aim to make portfolio pieces i guess i think what should prioritize is making work that reflects you that's Mm -hmm. more authentic to you like i think with that it's like knowing that it's like has lifted up really big pressure i didn't notice about myself like i was like i only making portfolio pieces and stuff but now i'm like making art that i really like and the results are reflective of that like people are like oh we like this work like they are coming for me for my personal work as opposed to like my quote-unquote portfolio pieces because they're like it really shows who this person is mm-hmm. as like a human you know as a beyond artist you know so it's like i tell people just really make what you really, really, really enjoy you'll reap the benefits of that like they will come to you for your personal work and stuff mm-hmm. i know people feel like that's like general answer but it's like i definitely learned that me making social media for myself you know has been a benefit for me like of course i want to get my audience engaged but it's like i want to be authentic to myself you know so mm-hmm. i think being authentic to myself really has it's really it's does help you know yeah yeah, yeah it has paid off 
Mm-hmm. I think that like really plays into your role as a concept artist also, because like you can get hired for your skill or you can get hired for your brain. I mean, sometimes both. Right. But like, yeah, even if you don't have like technical skill or like don't exactly fit the look of something, you can still get hired for like your ideas, your eye for like color or design, certain things like that. Like, for example, the something that always stood out to me was like the game Horizon Zero Dawn. Loish was hired on for that and her style does not fit like the it, yeah. the end look of the game at all but she was hired because of her ideas and like what she brought to the table and I think that's the same for you right like you're saying it doesn't have to be tight when you're doing concepts or design mm-hmm. and like development but it has to have that feeling like that what we're going for right yeah and I think like for me like I'm working in color design and stuff, but my portfolio is not really a color design portfolio. Mm-hmm. It's like an illustration portfolio, but because I have such a strong emphasis in color, like a lot of people are like, wow, this person knows how to color. Like yeah. mm-hmm. they know color theory. Like they know what colors work and what colors don't work. So it's like, the there's no one way to have a like industry portfolio. Like there's so many ways to break into an industry, you know, it's just like figuring out how can I make a portfolio that's authentic to myself. Yeah. That's like the key to it. Uh, it's okay. really that's really great. I think that's something that like especially young artists should reflect on. I think that's very helpful advice. To kind of like touch back, you mentioned this earlier, is that you created the hashtag drawing while black. How did you feel when that started to take off and explode? Yeah. So I remember it was like 2017. I just finished my internship at Warner Brothers and um I was just reflecting on my time there. I was like, wow, I wish I knew more black artists. Mm-hmm. Of course, I like I love my experience at Warner Bros, but I think sometimes I did feel kind of isolated. Um, I wanted to just connect with people who I could really like relate to and stuff, and like um, get advice and like how to like survive an injury with being black. So I like started a hashtag just to like really connect with other people. I was like inspired by Visible Women because like that was a great way to connect with mm. like women artists in the industry. And I was like, wait, I want to do something for like black people, and um, that blew up. Um, yeah, <laughs> I didn't expect it to like well, like, well, I didn't expect it to get so popular. You know, of course, like when it first started, I didn't get a lot of um, backlash from you know racist people. Wow. Um, but a good majority of people like really were supportive, and I, I were able to find so many great artists in the industry, but also people who are trying to break into like different industries of art. I think one thing I was like really excited, like I really got to meet a lot of artists that weren't U.S. based, like a lot of people from like. Nigeria, Ghana, Ghana, South Africa, some people in England, some people in Australia, New Zealand, like even Brazil, like amazing. so many black artists are out there, like they're out there and like they're making such amazing work and like with drama black, like it helped expose their work to people who are hiring. It's like, oh wait, we could actually look in these areas, like because they actually have like a thriving art scene, like and I like definitely like helped show a spotlight for places that have been overlooked and um that's why I'm so advocate so like on drama block because it's like this has given a lot of black folks opportunities to work in uh, not only animation but illustration, publishing, advertising, like get their work out there. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's why I made the director because it's like I want a more organized place so art directors and like showrunners or like um, edit- editors can look at arts and be like, oh, uh, we need to like we want to hire a black artist. We don't know where to go. It's like, well, this refuse just for you. Like hire these people because like they deserve to get make money off their work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, drawing while black was just a great. It has been really great. My goal was to connect with all black artists, and I was able to do that. But now I'm just like, how can I help give artists opportunities that they deserve? You know, 
and like not only like get these options, but how can they thrive in an industry that has been kind of hostile towards us, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to put bluntly. And like, how can we make this environment more inclusive and more diverse? So like the next generation doesn't have to go through these same hardships that past generations have. The thing and getting to know you through this podcast, Abel, the thing I'm starting to notice about you and the thing that I'm really appreciating about you is how genuine you really are from kind of going back to your first freelance opportunity. You were just creating fan art for something you enjoyed and that created a spiral of opportunities for you. Kind of talking about like how your art, you're just trying to be authentic to yourself and create things that like you reflect you and like be true to yourself and how that's doing really well for you. And even now creating Drawing While Black is just something that you wanted because you wanted to connect with more black artists and kind of show representation. You created something that was very much needed at that time and still needed now. And mm-hmm. there's just very genuineness in everything that you do that seems to take off, that seems to gravitate really well for you because it's coming from a genuine aspect and genuine place. And I really do deeply appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Yeah, for sure. Like, I think one thing I just really emphasize in my life is just being as genuine possible because I think but being genuine, like you are really showing like your true self. And like, I think people appreciate that a lot as opposed to someone a lot of people have this misconception, like, I need to do whatever I can to build my, like, kind of build my career as opposed to, like, but, like, kind of question, like, why do you want you to build your career? Like, why do you want to do these professional things? Like, why do you want to do this? And, like, some people don't have an answer to that. But, like, generally, I just want to make the world a better place. And, like, I don't want, <laughs> I, I, like, just want to have fun. Like, I want to be able to, like, enjoy things, you know? And, like, I want to, like, make someone smile. Like, I want like I just want people to be happy you know and I think that's why I do all these things like I want to make art that I really love because people like my art and like I want to like advocate for artists because like I want people to have like opportunities and like like not struggle so much in life and like I like major on my black because I like I want to connect with my community you know so it's mm-hmm. like even though it's like I say I want it's like I think it, it's still really important to just like really connect with others around you you know and like and then we'll connect with others. Like, you have to be genuine because, like, some, like, you have to let them know you, you can trust each other, you know? Because I think some people do give off vibes where they're like, I'm only using you to, like, build myself. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's never good. Like, mm-hmm. you should not take advantage of people. And I think with me, I'm like, I don't want to seem like I'm taking advantage of people. Like, I, I want people to be available to, like, feel comfortable with me and, like, understand, like, I'm coming from like, a genuine place, you know? Of course, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm, I'm not perfect at all, but it's like, I do want people to know, like, I, I don't have any malicious intent and I want people to, they do have issues, like, they can feel comfortable talking to me about this as opposed to being, like, me being, like, well, you know, vicious about that, you know, like, because mm-hmm. I know people who are kind of vicious about things, you know, yeah. but yeah, I, I, I do try to come off as genuine as possible because, of course, it's, like, one thing, it, it's rude of anxiety, like, I, like, I do want to leave, like, a good impression on people, you know, but again, like, I still want the world to be a better place and like any like if your life is good my life is good you know <laughs> so aside from this community endeavor and the community endeavors that you've done it's also very clear your art is specific to your background and your experiences so for you in what way does your culture influence or your background influence the art that you create yeah um so i definitely like make a lot of work that involves with my not only my blackness but like my family being from Ghana and stuff like Mm -hmm. I I want to represent that in a way that I haven't been seen it be represented like I want to show like the really cool parts of like Ghana culture and also like the fashion with it and also just like the people who influence my life you know as Mm -hmm. opposed to like things that like portraying like just know African countries are like being in poverty or like all these things you know like I want to show like the nuances of like culture and stuff because Mm -hmm. 
I experienced these nuances and stuff. And like, I just want to show that, yeah, like black people are just more than just like trauma, you know, because I think Mm -hmm. we really just focus on the trauma of black folks. I want to focus on like what makes black folks so unique and what makes our culture so like rich, you know, like I want to really show that with others. And I think with my art, like portraying like black people in like different settings, like in sci-fi settings or just like fantasy settings and like mystical settings, like, no, like, yeah, we are more than just like, you know, police brutality or like poverty and stuff like we love like doing fun shit like and like i know a lot of like a lot of black folks like we love anime like we love Mm sci-fi we love all these things like we're more than like a monolith like we are so much bigger you know and i think my work like really shows that like yeah we we are interesting so like we want to be represented in these genres of work i think that's why my art like i i do try to push that narrative just like how can i make my work more individual as opposed to like trying to represent like one group like how can i be like this person would do this and that you know like i i want to make like my work as human as possible like really reflect the human experience and like um use like color to like kind of like empathize that because i think color is such an important part of my work like color tells the story you know it's just as important as the design aspect you know and i think like using my background and stuff like it really helped it, it basically like it does give my work a voice like it's not just like any art it's like my work you know and I, i'm glad that like i'm able to like improve that more because i was i have struggled in the past to like really represent my culture and my identity in my work you know but i think now it's like i'm more comfortable more secure about that and like i can represent that properly now mm-hmm. i think that's really important what you say is like black people are more than just trauma right yeah. i think that's important to show like the good side and the happiness and like like all these different aspects like you could be serious or you could be comedic or anything because we're we're just people we're just humans yeah Mm -hmm. exactly and yeah and like showing that that side and like humanizing these people and not just like having like all of this like pity and sadness and stuff that like people outside that culture look at and they're like oh like these poor black people it's like no these poor humans like these are are people you can laugh laugh along with or like you be friends with and like that's cry why you should with. care not just because yeah you can cry along with them like not just because they're black but because they're people and i think that's exactly. really important that you're creating art that that humanizes like black culture mm-hmm. and everything yeah i do appreciate like works that are kind of like more political and stuff but right. i think like my issue is like why are we only hiring black people to p- do political quote-unquote woke things when like we can also do other things too. Like we could work on like, you know, non rate like racial issues and right. stuff. Like mm. this is not to dismiss work of like folks who have done like more racial driven work. No, no, but just to is, add like, to it. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. to add to it. Cause we're not, it's like typecasting. Like don't typecast us into these roles. And I think mm. a lot of black creators feel the same way. Like, mm. yes, we value these pieces of work, but we also want to do more than that. And like, we can do more than that. Like people want to work on like, Star Trek or like, you know, Star Wars or like, you know, even like the silly shit, silly shows like, like Big City Greens. Like we want to mm-hmm. like, we can do more than just like, you know, like trauma stuff. Like we yeah. love comedy. We love sci-fi. We love all these things. And like our culture, again, like black culture is not just trauma. Like we love like most of black Twitter is like memes and, and memes and stuff. Like it's all like we can still have so much fun and like in the black community like it's like the culture is so rich that it's like we why would you just limit that to like you know like trauma or like you know like police brutality or just like racism you know mm-hmm. one of the things that we also kind of like showcasing on this podcast is 
is that people could come from anywhere uh, when it comes to their schooling. You don't need to go to a specific school to make it in the industry. We've had guests that didn't even go to school or didn't go to traditional route and still working in the industry. So for you, you actually went and attended the Maryland Institute College of Art. How was that experience for you? Why did you feel like that was the right choice for your career path or for your journey in animation? I originally wanted to attend CalArt and I got accepted. However, um, they were not very accommodating to my financial situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to MICA um, because it was like one of the cheaper options. It was like closer to Virginia. And originally I was an animation major, but I decided I was like, oh, I'm not really good at animating. And I rather just focus on the design aspects of animation and the story aspect. So I moved to illustration. And I think with that, that helped me really hone in my skills in design. Um, and also let me try new like things. Like I took printmaking. I'm um, learning mm-hmm. about um, misographing. It's like a printing process that I really love. That was like a turning print when it comes to color for me. Like mm-hmm. help me understand like how can I really enhance my colors. Taking classes and like book illustration. And like, I think that's why I'm like, more than just like working in animation because it's like I just I was the illustration can be applied to a lot of things you know and I I really think that really has benefited me because it's not so much as in like a one path but like I'm like working in a big path of like different fields that help me inform myself in different films like it, my illustration work has helped me get animation work and my animation work has got me comic work and like all these things have basically formed who I was because I decided I was like you know what let me really just focus on myself like I guess like what focus on my what my work should look like kind of like mm-hmm. how can I again be authentic to who I am and I think like going to Micah really helped me understand like how I want to shape my art you know like it's kind of like a puzzle piece like like how can I fit this project puzzle um this piece into like different industries and stuff well I don't want to say a puzzle piece but like you know those like little mm-hmm. games that's like put like the block in you know like I I guess that's how I kind of view myself like I could put myself in this industry I could put myself in that industry also like molding myself too like it helped me mold myself a lot more like I of course it's like sometimes I do wish I um didn't go to school because how expensive it was but I did (laughs) really appreciate my experience there like I was fortunate enough that I had like a really great community um great support system at Micah um my professors are, like, really supportive and, like, really, really helpful and accommodating, um, not only to, like, me doing freelance, but also, like, dealing with my ADHD mm-hmm. and also, like, mental health when it has gotten really bad. Um, they have really been really supportive. And, of course, my friend group, I always tell my friends this. They are, like, my most expensive friends ever. So that's why I'm <laughs> in this for the long run. Like, they're an investment. <laughs> so I, I really appreciate them always supporting me and, like, always, like, advocating for me and also like advocating for them too like and also just like being in baltimore too like it's nice to be in a city um like baltimore you know i baltimore has like you know quote-unquote bad reputation of like people outside the city but being in the city like i really learned how to appreciate the community there and like understand my place as like a guest and like how could i help as opposed to like doing more damage to the city you know, and like seeing like what can I do to really empathize and like kind of like learn my place. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's why like when I moved to LA, it was for me it was like kind of like I already had the mentality like I'm coming here. Like you kind of like you don't you don't owe me anything, but I owe you something. You know, like, how can I prove that I'm part of this community as opposed to someone who's trying to take away from this community? You know, right. that's honestly that's very well well put. Like you've honestly given so many like nuggets of advice. And for young artists, for black artists, 
uh, for, for illustrators. But to kind of bring this to an end, what, is there any final advice you would want to give to individuals that want to pursue a career in animation? So I think for sure, know your community. Like get to know your community, get to know the artists around you and stuff. Learn how to connect with them, not only just through artist line, but as a human lens, because I think getting to know people, like they will, a lot of people want to support each other in the industry, but I think like to be able to do that, like you have to really show that you are authentic, you are genuine with your intentions, you know? So I think that, I think like knowing community, like that could help you mm-hmm. um, with social media, can help with your portfolio, you know, like that could help a lot. Like, but also can just like help you gain like an understanding of like, who you, you could possibly work with because like if you get to know people like you don't know who's gonna be your boss or gonna be, who's gonna be your coworker, you know mm. definitely like really support each other with all of this because like at the end of the day we kind of only have each other mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um we can't always depend on studios and companies to advocate for us so it's great to advocate for each other and um being empathetic to everyone's struggles and um triumphs you know that's beautiful thank you so much for joining us today uh where can our audience find you and is there anything you want to plug at this time so my website's abelhayford.com. My Twitter and Instagram is abelhayford too. My directory on um, Drawing Wild Black is on Airtable. If you just like Google it, you can just look up Drawing Wild Black directory and Airtable. Unfortunately, right now it's all this limited access. So if you do want access, you have to email me and also like tell me why you want access to it. But if you are a Black artist and you want to sign up, just let me know so I can send you a form. It's just really easy to you know, send in your form, type in your credential, and you're automatically on the directories. Yeah, it's really great. It's a really great resource. So, but yeah, thank you guys for having me. Oh, thank you so yeah. much for being on. It's so exciting. Well, if uh, you enjoyed our interview with Abel today, please rate us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StraightAheadAP and let us know your response to today's in-between questions. Or if you have any suggestions for future in-between questions, contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us. We love discovering new artists and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening, and thank you once again to our guest, who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye.